Here we go. Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 6, Episode 6. Today is Thursday, February the 3rd. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of Project Voice, a company that accelerates the growth and adoption of voice and conversational AI. We're thrilled to be joined today by a really phenomenal panel and uh, talking through some, some interesting stories. Um, I'm going to ask each one of these folks to introduce themselves. And Naresh, I'm going to start with you. Um, tell us who you are. Uh, tell us who you work for. Tell us all about yourself. So I'm, I'm excited to be on the show. So I'm Naresh, and I'm based out of San Francisco. I work for the company called Transperfect, uh, which has been uh, the market leader in translations and localizations forever. Uh, it was started in 1992. And then three years ago, they found a need in the artificial intelligence machine learning space. So we started a division called DataForce, and I actually work for that division as one of the directors. And what DataForce does is we provide training data to build machine learning models. And we also do all kinds of supportive services that is needed for the training data for building any kind of machine learning model that is available right now in the industry. Uh, we work on text, audio, video, and uh, images as well. Awesome. Uh, Naresh, it's a privilege to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. You got it. Our next guest is Johan Stromberg of Wanderword. Johan, say hello. Hello, hello. Thanks for being here. Uh, you know, Wanderword, super interesting group. Um, tell us who you are. Tell us what you do. Thank you. Uh, super excited to be here. Uh, and uh, so my name is Johan Stromberg. I'm uh, out of Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, Wonderword was a company founded about three years ago. We do interactive audio experiences for the uh, speakers out there, Alexa and Google, but also now for mobile phones. And uh, in the line of development of these, we also realized that we needed to use other tools to get out on more platforms. So we built our own platform called Fabella, where you can actually build these experiences with interactive audio, where you steer the experience with your voice and you can come out uh, to all platforms, more or less. You can go out to web, Alexa, Google. So a lot of, of our customers feel that they don't have the, the time to spend developing for each and every platform. So now they can develop once and release it on every one. Perfect. Yeah. And uh, Johan, we appreciate you taking the time and uh, appreciate what you're doing with WanderWord as well. Very uh, needed organization. And, and finally, Liz. Prasad, tell me if I'm pronouncing that right. Liz, it's great to have you on the show. Yep, you've got it broadly. Hey everyone, I'm Liz Prasad and I am thrilled to be here with you. Um, I work in the space of assistive technology and disabilities. Um, for 21 years, I've worked with a federal program called Tools for Life and we are the Assistive Technology Act program in Georgia and based out of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, every state as well as territory has an Assistive Technology Act program. And basically what we do is we inform people um, with disabilities, their support circles, professionals that support them all about technology that can benefit them in their life. So as somebody living with a disability, 
I use um, so many pieces of technology and use my voice every day to be fully independent. So it's been absolutely transformational. Um, and I also just work in the space of uh, adults living with neuromuscular disabilities. Uh, that is something that I have in my life. And again, just educating about independence, technology, and just the marriage of that and what it can really do to benefit um, not only people with disabilities, but everyone when we think about universal design. So again, just really happy to be here with y'all. No, that's great. Yeah, we appreciate you setting the time aside. And, and uh, you know, I, I uh, put you last for the intros because I'm going to put you first for uh, uh, starting with our first story. Okay, uh, Liz, thanks for joining us as well. Um, so with that, we're going to get to the news. And we've got four really interesting stories here. And I'm going to read the headline of the first one here and we'll get get rolling. Jaguar Land Rover adds Amazon Alexa voice control as standard. So I started with this, um, you know, the story we'll talk about next has to do with Apple and there's a ecosystem conversation there. But this one I think is interesting because um, it comes amidst, um, you know, there's this undercurrent of whining and complaining I'm seeing about the Alexa ecosystem and uh, some, some claims that um, it's getting worse. And uh, maybe it's Bezos leaving or, or who knows what it is, but Alexa, uh, according to a lot of things I've seen is not working as well as it has in the past. I don't know, you know, how to even start measuring that, but I've seen some people talking about it, but it sure hasn't kept them from uh, a Terminator like uh, acquisition of business in, in the automotive sector. So Liz, I want to start with you, you know, um, your thoughts on every, you know, everything you do uh, with an accessibility mindset and, and just everything you do in general. Um, give me your comments on just the Alexa ecosystem. And then this story in particular, using Alexa in the car, what, what stands out to you as being the most important part of the story? Sure. And it's kind of funny because as we're talking, all my devices are going to go off this next hour <laughs> that we're here hanging out together, which is awesome because I've got every single one set up for everything in my life. Um, this article I thought was really interesting. Um, I, you know, as somebody living with a disability, um, I was born with spinal muscular atrophy, diagnosed at nine months. I just turned 43. Um, technology has been an awesome aspect in my life for independence. And, and again, especially for individuals living with neuromuscular disabilities, we rely on our voice, we rely on switches, we rely on making sounds to make things happen in our life, especially as we're looking at progressive diseases. So when it comes to uh, Alexa and just the Amazon ecosystem, there's been so much of that that's been a game changer for me. Um, I use it to uh, control my television, my entertainment. If I just want to watch Food Network, you know, I can say, turn on Food Network. I can get on, uh, you know, Netflix and, you know, say, play Stranger Things season two episode, what have you, and it does it seamlessly. Um, what I like about this article is just the marriage of transportation and these smart systems. Um, transportation in general is just interesting and it's complex for folks with disabilities. Not Transportation isn't always easy, um, even public transportation. I absolutely cannot wait for the day that I can roll into a vehicle and say, take me to Atlanta, take me to my favorite restaurant, you know, take me to the grocery store. Um, you know, I don't think that that's far-fetched away. Um, you know, the article just talks about 
you know, being able to start your car, the music, right? Just being able to interlay that into your uh, automotive experience when you're on the road. But again, I am excited to see that go even further, you know, to be able just to use your voice to navigate your world really and truly. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, I think about little things of, you know, caregivers getting me up in the morning and what that means for the time frame. Um, sometimes by morning to get ready for work can be up to five hours. And sometimes that includes transportation getting into work, right? So how awesome would it be just to be able to add that to that pocket of independence to really be able just to make that that seamless. So there's some videos out there in the world. There's a individual who is blind, who is using a prototype and driving to Taco Bell to get a taco. And I just think that's absolutely incredible. And just to see the joy on his face to be able to do that, right? That's things that many of us take advantage of every day, right? So. No, that's great. So from a accessibility standpoint, there's no perceived change in the Alexa ecosystem is just all very valuable. And I think that's that's a great, you know, realization for something like this. Naresh, I'm going to uh, turn to you. So, you know, uh, this story and just the idea of having Alexa in the car or any voice system in the car, obviously, it's, it's data heavy, uh, something that you you think about. Um, as you took a look at this, uh, what stood out to you? Anything about Alexa specifically or about the use case or, or give me your thoughts? Well, this is a super interesting use case for us uh, because in-car data collection that could be used for an Alexa or any voice system has been one of the most expensive ones that you can actually um, get. Uh, and the reason behind is that when you use an Alexa inside your house, the house is quiet and maybe a noise of your pressure cooker or the alarm would be the only disturbances you have or kids running around. So you can recreate um, having data collected inside a controlled setting easily versus when you're actually trying to get data from a car, think about it. You have an ambulance noise, you have you know, rolling carts that are making uh, noises, you have so many other, you, know, you, you might be next to a concert and you're trying to get the data from a concert that is actually you know, or you could be next to a rally. So you have to collect data in various environments to be able to actually work efficiently. And in every product lifecycle, it's interesting that you said people are not using Alexa that much. I mean, the, the Alexa hasn't been, I don't know, uh, leveraged that much in the current day world because, you know, in any product lifecycle, if you see this introduction, growth, maturity, and decline. And I think... Every time there is maturity, um, no matter if it's Alexa or any other voice assistant in the market is coming up with a new product that engages us to actually keep us there. And it takes time. Um, and some of these projects have taken years for them to develop. And I think the states that they've actually introduced it into the cars right now is amazing. And I think we're gonna see more coming up in the future. That's great. Yeah, I completely agree with, with you. and. Um... Yeah, it's it's uh, uh, it's a use case. It's not going anywhere uh, for sure. And Johan, I'm going to turn to you as as you know the person out of the three here that are probably the closest from a professional standpoint to the Alexa ecosystem. 
you know, is it your perception that uh, the Alexa ecosystem is as strong and vibrant as it always has been, or are there cracks in the foundation? And any other any other comments you have on the story? Well, if you start, you know, picking the wound, you're going to see blood eventually. So if I did analyze Alexa all over the place, there's going to be parts that I don't like. But in general, I would say that, you know, taking it to the car was more or less that we expected. Uh, it's going to be a battle in between a few uh, combatants. One of them is going to be Google and one's going to be Alexa. Uh, I, I do agree with the problematics in the cars that you have a lot of a lot of sound and, and things disturbing that we haven't really seen yet. So I don't think you can just take these skills and, and, and everything they have today and just put it in the car and it will be working. Uh, we work with that problematics every day because we want to develop games that are able to be used by people who cannot see. And we want it to be able to be used by people driving. So we have a saying uh, about both hands on the wheel and eyes on the road. And therefore, and we see that a lot We're talking to different car manufacturers, we hear them say that, you know what, uh, and entertainment is great, but it needs safety comes first. Uh, and we've seen this with self-driving cars like Tesla and, and all different kinds of cars that they're very, very uh, uh, thorough about safety. Uh, so uh, looking at this, uh, this particular article, I, I thought that this is, you know, it was weighted. There's going to be more. Almost every car is going to have it. There's going to be a period uh, until we feel it's really safe. If you've ever been in a self-driving car, you're scared to death because eventually it's going to come up something from the side of the road or something is raining. And, and you know, it's it's like Jurassic Park where world is going to change and eventually the car is going to crash so it's 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 you know it's a love and hate relationship with self-driving cars and i think it's great that we're now coming to the part that that going into a car you more or less know that you can talk to it and it helps so much either if you're in a situation where you where you can't do anything but talk or or if you just want to be convenient uh, it's great, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, when it comes to the the infotainment system that they have, I think we're going to see different types of games due to what I said in the beginning with security. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, so what I hear from y'all is um, whatever whispers are out there about the Alexa ecosystem are, you know, really not showing up very visibly. Alexa still is a, an incredibly important um, ecosystem, uh, making a lot of progress. And, and obviously this story is all about it. Uh, the you know, Jaguar Land Rover thinks uh, they're a perfectly fine partner. You know, thank you very much. And so, and, and we've seen a bunch of those. Uh, we've seen um, a lot of stories over the last, you know, three to six months about um, different cars uh, integrating voice in in more evolved ways uh, with different partners some cases big tech like google or amazon other cases more independent partners like serens um but a good place to start any closing comments on that it, it segues well into the next story which is really where i want to spend the bulk of the time um because it's kind of interesting um i'm going to read the headline for this um, and this is from Fast Company. 
Apple was a smart speaker laggard, but its strategy is working. So, you know, part of the issue with Alexa that I've been seeing people talk about is that some of the commands like aren't working as well. Like, and like I said, who's to say, but the fact is that Alexa and Google Assistant have broad purviews of countless things that, that somebody has to be thinking about. What, you know, um, every vertical interacts with these voice assistants in different ways. So countless employees, countless teams working on, you know, improvement, you know, continuously improving these things. And the, the argument this article makes is really fascinating because on this show, you know, we're in six seasons of this now, and we've been ripping on Apple for all six of them <laughs> for, for uh, you know, the, the poor performance uh, relative to the others of Siri. But now here comes an article saying that that's an asset. And Naresh, I want to start with you with this. And then Johan and, and Liz, I'll go to you. Um, the point this article makes is that uh, a, a weakness of Siri is a strength and that it's, a, it's actually the focus. It's, it's this device is focused properly on one particular thing and that works. What did, did you, do you agree with that premise that, uh, you know, that Apple's singular focus and maybe not working on everything under the sun is a benefit? And what else did you take from this piece? Well, I think it's like a yes and a no kind of a deal. Yes, Apple, is, their strategy is probably working, but you have to understand Alexa is the first to market. You know, even though Google stands equal with Alexa now, you're not going to, you, you never mention Google, you're mentioning Alexa constantly. And that is because it's become a household name. And the concept that Apple is coming out with the new speaker doesn't put them anywhere behind because Alexa, when they were creating it, they made so many mistakes. And now the newer speaker companies that are coming out, um, they can avoid those mistakes because you know the people who worked for Alexa are the ones that are actually working for Apple or Google or you know they understand okay what are the types of mistakes they've made in terms of data collection and what are the types of mistakes they've made in terms of correlating this data where a normal human being can interact with it like another person rather than a voice bot and if you noticed it the you know, you, you just don't say uh, set an alarm at this time. You, you can easily say, hey, wake me up at so-and-so time and Alexa is going to wake you up. And, and that's where Apple is coming in. But they are also putting so much money into the advance because they're coming late in the market. They have to put extra money in advancing or refining the data that they're actually getting. So... I, I don't see them behind or ahead in terms of the competition. And I'm going to stay on you a second because I want to ask a follow-up here. So, you know, I, I think there's kind of two, two theories emerging, you know, about, I guess, what we'll call AI for the, for the purpose of this conversation. It's, it, you know, either you can, you know, for AI to become... I hate to use the word sentient, but why don't we use the word contextual? Um, you know, for, for AI to really benefit um, you and to be proactive and rather than just reactive all the time and, and to, um, 
be additive uh, to, to us as human beings, either you can accumulate so much data mm -hmm. that, and you can ramp up that data mountain and you can scale it and you can uh, accumulate so much data until you finally reach the inflection point of sentience or, or, or sufficient amount of context to where the computer can finally understand you uh, enough to, to, to really serve you. But here we have kind of a different theory in, you know, in this article that's sort of talked about in a roundabout way where, you know what, forget all that. Let's just focus on this. To make AI really good and to make technology work in a way that serves the user best, it's really a function of doing the precise opposite and it's narrowing the focus as laser-like as we can get it to, to smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller to where we finally serve the customer. That way we've eliminated everything to where we can't possibly screw it up and the computer can serve the user. You're, do you agree with that? You know, that, that that's a, a, a dichotomy here? What are your thoughts on that? So when we start talking about data, there's two kinds of data in the market right now. One is unstructured data and one is structured data. So when people talk about actually narrowing down whatever they're doing, that is them structuring the data in a particular fashion to actually use it for any use case. In this example, a voice bot use case. You could have countless amount of, you can, you can have data from a million homes speaking every day about various stuff. But if all that unstructured data is not gonna be useful for the functions that you want the voice bot to actually perform. So we, all these companies have data. In fact, 80% of the data out there in the world is unstructured and everybody is actually racing to structure this data for specific use cases. So to answer your question, if we are gonna, we are gonna get to that centennial point by getting the data structured and whoever can do it faster, more efficiently is gonna be the winner out there. No, well said, yeah. And so thanks for letting me stay on you for another, for another moment there. Johan, I wanna to turn to you and get your thoughts on this article as well. You know, I don't think WanderWord um, has done much with the Apple ecosystem. You know, it'll be interesting to get your thoughts on, do you kind of buy into what this piece is selling that, hey, let's take Apple seriously with this or do you see it as a sign of weakness? Your, your thoughts when you look at this. Well, I mean, it's really interesting to see more people coming on to the playing field, so to speak, and it's anticipated. We all know that the French is going to come up with their own version of this because that's what they do. Uh, and, uh, and, but I, I welcome that because to us, it's, it's more or less not the technology. We can, we can use either one of them, which has volume. And I believe the ones that are going to get the volume is... I'm sorry to say this, but the, the technology part is not the hard part here. Uh, obviously, it's it's not easy, but it's not the hardest part. The the hard part is to get good software that people want to use. I think we are in the same area as when the mobile phones came along. They didn't grow as much as they did just because people could use them for calling. Today, nobody's more or less calling that much on them. They're using it for gaming or they're using it for for TikTok or whatever. And, and uh, in the beginning, you had this worm game. 
that was the best thing on it, right? And and eventually the games on the mobile phone is better than you could find on an Xbox in the beginning, right? So I see that they have proven technology from their phone and they can do it if they want to. What will make it good or bad is the support that you get developing on these platforms. Because I know there's a big difference going on in Alexa, going on in Google, going on the web when it comes to development. And people also need to make money. If nobody makes money on these platforms, you won't have great uh, software and great, great experiences. So I go back and, and, and I want to compare it about 15 years ago, I was working with Samsung in recruitment and uh, I realized that Samsung was all, not all about technology. It was about support. They wanted to be the best company in the world when it came to support to their customers. So if you ever broke a Samsung TV or a dishwasher, you probably uh, have something to say about that experience. And the same thing I bring back into the experience with Alexa, Google, and now Apple, I'll say the ones that are gonna be the best one is gonna be the one which is best perceived when you have any problems. So in the rest of the world, Alexa is the biggest at the moment, but in Australia, Google has a head lead. Why is that? So we're gonna see three, two to three or four different technology platforms, but the one winning is gonna be the one that supports the customer and the developers the best. No, that, yeah, that point's well taken. And uh, and by the way, the name of that game was Snake. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's an indelible uh, memory uh, for, for me. Liz, I'm going to turn to you. And I want to get your thoughts on this as well. You know, um, is is Apple uh, and the HomePod something that you ever think about? Um, are you buying what this article selling about, uh, hey, Apple has done so many things terribly to where now you know their their singular focus on uh this one little speaker is actually an asset you know what what stood out to you when you uh read this sure um so honestly what stood out to me was the statistic of 15 to 25 percent of people just using some of the basic commands when it comes to smart home speakers and i i mean i get it you know in the research i've done over the years you know they say if you aren't you know spending the first 45 minutes on your technology, right? You kind of lose the basics of it. And so I think about that when I'm talking to people about, you know, technology that I'm using, I'm training them on using it. Um, you know, we often find that people just go back to the basics of what time is it? What's the weather? Set my alarm, play the song. But again, for folks with disabilities, I'm using all of these smart speakers to uh, eventually do my blinds, open the door, right? Turn on and off lights. Um, you know, all these aspects in my home, in my, you know, work environment, any environment that I'm in. Um, so there's so much more there to it. Um, I use, like I said before, I use all of them. Um, I will say that I have an iPhone. Um, I like it for ease of use, but then I have a PC. And that's specifically because of the software I use for my voice is better on my PC and not on a Mac or on my Apple software, if you will, my iOS. So there's just that interchangeability of what works best in specific environments um, that really stick out to me. After I read the article, I actually called a friend who works in the same field who just so happens to be blind. And he is an Apple fan to the 10th. Like he is so in love with it and had the larger HomePod 
um, is now integrating the smaller speakers into his Apple ecosystem. And the thing, you know, I was like, tell me two or three things that you love about it. Like, why are you so into this, you know, um, more so than some other folks with disabilities that I know. And I will say just for individuals in the blind low vision community, being able to use Apple products um, has been more popular than using, you know, Alexa or Google, uh, using the smartwatch, navigating, uh, you know, Atlanta, getting on MARTA, you know, on public transit, it's been a game changer. Um, but one of the things that he said that I thought was really interesting, that's so simple was, he said that using the setup for Apple products is so much easier than going with Google and Amazon and being able to use your voice. So as somebody who's non-sighted from the get-go, opening up the box and setting it up to work for them is a game changer. And so it's as simple as, you know, the setup process of it, not necessarily just that in-depth use I thought was really interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. And um, just something so simple. And, you know, for, for the grief that we give Apple, you know, it's indisputable that they, um, they, they prioritize accessibility. Um, you know, that's something that they have consistently done over a long period of time, um, at least in my opinion. And, and you know, I, th I think you and I might have spoken at a previous point about this, the setup for Google Assistant is something that they have gotten some demerits for uh, in the past because it's so complex. Um, and I know they've been working on it, but uh, no, your point's well taken. Yeah, I mean, I, the setup again is just something that, you know, is a game changer for folks because, you know, you wanna be independent from the get-go. You know, you don't know if folks are living on their own if they've got people supporting them. So being able to do that independently, um, you know, step one all the way to the end, I think is, you know, is crucial for it as well. Um, you're absolutely right. Apple has been at the forefront of accessibility. They advertise it well, they market it well, it's beautiful. But I will say, um, while I love my iPhone and it works well for me, there are things that I think about that y'all probably don't. So I have the iPhone mini. I can't tell you how long I waited for it because it's smaller, it's easy for me to handle, right? So that's just something that I'm looking you know, forward to um, just different things that you think about as somebody with a disability and some things that you, you know, rely on as well. But I will say my husband, who is also in the tech industry, is an Android fan. And you can do so much more with Android products, right, as far as customization and talking to other technology as well, too. So you've just got to really weigh what it is that you're looking for, what your environment is, energy levels as well, I think about throughout the day. Um, and that's a a big indicator of what technology I'm using. And if I'm able to use my voice, is my voice tired by three o'clock in the afternoon? So what does that mean for me being able to use all of these smart speakers? Well, that's interesting. Yeah, and um, so just bringing it back to, 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 the, to the headline, um, and I feel like I need to read this again. Like I just, uh, I, this is such, just such a shocking headline. Apple was a smart speaker laggard but its strategy is working. And you know what? The overall takeaway is there's so much surface area to voice technology and conversational AI that may be something that 
by some definitions isn't working by other definitions does work very well thank you for some people and um yeah no i think that's a fascinating uh takeaway from that i appreciate all of the the comments on that we're gonna move on to story number three and i'm gonna read this headline as well this is from voice spot iheart media leads three million dollar funding round for social audio startup gimme radio so, you know, we've been hearing about social audio in many ways, um, you know, social audio is like a lot of things It started prior to the pandemic, but it, you know, the pandemic just really ushered it in um, and accelerated it uh, in a way that it, it otherwise would have taken a decade to do. And, um, you know, Johan, I'm going to start with you and then, and then go to Liz and Naresh on this. Um, but with with WanderWord and your focus on, you know, uh, the entertainment sector, uh, this Gimme Radio sounds like an interesting company. Um, you know, it, it, uh, it, it involves something that I think will be integral uh, to almost every entertainment concept uh, at some point, which is tipping. Um, and uh, whether that's related to crypto or not, you know, uh, doesn't have to be, but that's a conversation that usually takes place. Um, this story covers a lot of ground. I want to get your thoughts on, uh, you know, does, what do you think about Gimme Radio? What do you think about this story? First of all, it sounds like a, a new thing. And, and I know for sure where I come from in Sweden, we always try to uh, try new things. It's, it's in our DNA, so to speak. So uh, we're early adopters. And I think a lot of people would love to try it out. Uh, in general, I think... Uh, to change a, a type of market uh, into cutting away unnecessary parts for the benefit of the, in this case, uh, the people playing on the radio or the artist, uh, that's great. Uh, obviously, some people are not going to like it because they're going to miss out some money. Uh, usually, it's the big dragon, so to speak. So nobody feels sorry for them. But uh, in this case, uh, it's cutting away some, some, some areas where it's not needed and, and getting directly to the customers. Uh, so it's, to me, it, it sounds not only fun, but I think it's good for, for the market. And uh, I also think it gives opportunities to have interactions uh, within that. Uh, so when you do it close to the audience, you can have interactions and, and and, you know, uh, not only have questionnaires, but let them steer what is played and stuff like that in a new way. So I think I, I like the idea and I'm, I'm definitely going to try it out. Uh, there's hundreds of ways I'm going to, you know, connect it to my business, but let's not go there now. Uh, yeah, no, I think there, this story has a lot of implications for you, for you and what you're doing. Um, but I, I agree. I love the idea of um, being able to interact with content creators, whether it's um, game makers, whether it's musicians, whether it's authors. Um, and I think uh, if technology does anything for us uh, that's worthwhile, it'll help create some of those opportunities uh, to bring us closer to, to people that otherwise we might not have exposure to. Liz, I wanna to turn to you and I wanna get your thoughts on this story as well. From your perspective, um, and everything that you think about, um, what stood out? Um, so I'm a music head. I love going to concerts. Uh, it's just a favorite pastime of mine. Um, I This to me was probably one of my favorite articles that you put out there for us to read, just because of that interaction, that 
being able to be online, it being fully accessible, and you get this incredible experience of, you know, seeing your performer, interacting with them, being able to pay for merchandise, just as if you're going to a venue to see your, you know, favorite band. You know, Bradley, you and I talked about the pandemic and really what that meant for people with disabilities and accessibility. Um, don't get me wrong, I am Zoom fatigued. You know, I get tired of it. It's difficult when you're online all the time. And, you know, at the end of the day, your friends are like, let's have a virtual happy hour, or, you know, let's do this and that. And it's it's exhausting. Um, but for folks with disabilities, the pandemic, um, you know, as someone who is still in quarantine, still having to stay safe, still, you know, being careful every day um, and not leaving the house much, the pandemic opened up a world for me and for folks with disabilities. All of a sudden we were getting invited to uh, concerts online. We were getting invited to parties that may have been in an accessible, in an inaccessible venue or someone's home that we couldn't get into. And so all of a sudden I had friends going to museums across the world, right? Interacting in different meetups, meeting people that they never thought they would meet because we were forced to move into this virtual online world, if you will. Um, so to me, this is just another way of bringing entertainment and interaction into the homes of folks um, that could really benefit from it. Um, social isolation is such a big thing that we're dealing with in the disability community, as well as the aging community, especially through the pandemic. And, you know, you know, we've got to also talk about the availability of Wi-Fi for folks and the affordability of it. But if somebody is set up in a way, um, this is incredible to be able to have entertainment and social interaction to that level. No, I think that's, you know, something that ought to stay at the forefront of the conversation is, um, you know, and, and this is something that we had talked about. It's easy, you know, to to say, well, you know, we've, we've had our, we've had our time with Zoom and let's file it away, you know, now or at some point or whenever, um, when, when, when the pandemic is uh, agreed upon uh, that it's run its course. And, um, you know, that would be a big mistake uh, because a lot of the lessons that we've learned, um, you know, it's like anything else. There's, there's some stuff that uh, uh, will stay with us and uh, change us and evolve us and then there's stuff that won't and um you know getting the two correct you know and, and figuring out which one is which is, is critical and i think with what iHeartRadio is doing you know it's, it's some of these digital lessons we've learned some of the stuff that you were reflecting on um uh, informs uh, what we'll do moving forward even if the pandemic you snapped your finger and it was gone a lot of this stuff will stick around for reasons that are very valuable and helpful um, and it's great to hear your thoughts on that. Naresh, I want to turn to you and get your thoughts on the story as well. Um, what stood out to you uh, just about Gimme Radio or, or any particular aspect of this piece? So I think it's the timing that stood out for me. Um, how we see things could be like saying, okay, someone developed this piece of software that is great. People can interact, but at the same time, um, you know, it, it reaches directly to the consumer. But why, why was it introduced at this time of the year? It's inter interesting. In uh, 1992, there's a sci-fi writer that is actually, his, his name is Neil Stephenson. He coined the term metaverse to describe a 3D virtual space. Fast forward 2022, 
we're at this 3D world now that is filled with AR and VR and you know crypto and Facebook changed its name to Meta. And the reason behind is that Facebook could have been Meta 10 years ago, but it waited strategically where it bought a lot of companies that actually supported Facebook to be Meta, right? For example, they bought the Oculus, so they now have the VR headset space. They bought uh, Instagram, and now people, you know, think about 10 years ago, building a community, how long it's going to take, how much effort you have to put in building a community. Now you can build a community, you know, it's like going to an ice cream shop and asking for a caramel ice cream. It's so easy. You can easily build a community. And I think the timing now with all the technology that is supporting connecting people, um, which means like it's instead of like a B to C, it's like a C to C now uh, kind of a space. And the technologies, as I said, is supporting and the support combined with you know, Tyler, who is the CEO of uh, Gimme Radio, his experience with like Apple Music and Google Music and Napster formally that he has worked with, you know, they, they brought this to the table. And I think it's a great move from their end. <clears throat> Complete agreement. Yeah, no, and uh, just a great series of perspectives on that across the board. It's, uh, you know, I love stories like this. Um, it's it's uh, it's technology doing what technology ought to be doing. It's like making the world uh, slightly more uh, tolerable and enjoyable place. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, we're going to go on to our last story here, and I'm going to read this headline. Um, and uh, this this is an interesting one. Uh, this is from Time Magazine. Artificial intelligence can now craft original jokes. And that's no laughing matter. So this story uh, covers a lot of ground as well. Um, really interesting. We're going to link to this and all the stories in the notes um, when we put the podcast out and, and on YouTube as well. Liz, I'm going to start with you and then uh, go to, uh, to Naresh and Johan uh, to close us out here. But, um, you know, I come from... Uh, the 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 thought the 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 uh, the frame of mind that you got to be able to joke about everything, and uh, the more serious something is, you actually need to joke about it more because that's just sort of how we uh, advance discourse. You know, it's um, it's as Will Rogers said: you can tell somebody anything as long as you make them laugh, and I think there's some truth to that. Um, and conversely, if you don't make them laugh, you can't tell somebody anything. And I think that that's probably emblematic of our society. Um, you know, the thought process here is that, uh, you know, a lot of the biases that, that uh, you know, in, uh, have not been eliminated uh, in our culture show up in AI. And then consequently, if AI is telling jokes, you're going to show up there too. Um, you know, I want to get your thoughts on what stood out to you about this piece, your takeaways, um, and ultimately uh, your thoughts on whether AI will get to the point where it can uh, do something like tell a joke. Yeah, um, I thought this was a really interesting article because then I was just thinking, this robot's just telling jokes and people are hanging out in a comedy club listening to this robot, right? Um, so I've worked in, in the field of assistive technology there's robotics everywhere, right? We talk about telepresence robots and there's robots that, um, you know, we've got research teams working on that can help people shave, scratch an itch, 
um, just do amazing things to help folks with a range of disabilities. Um, so this particular, even just the physicalness of this robot, I've seen this robot in person before um, and have actually worked with this particular robot. Um, when I did, it was interesting because it was targeted towards individuals with living with autism and helping with some of the day-to-day uh, -day social interaction, right, prompting um, and what have you. So I, I love this and yeah, you're absolutely right, Bradley. We have to be able to laugh, to cope, right, at our, at our obstacles, right, at, at being able to overcome things and just see the humor. Um, I feel like humor and laughter and all that is a, an impeccable survival tool. Um, it'll be interesting to see how AI and humor evolve over the years. Um, but honestly, what I thought about when I was reading through this is it would be so cool to see something like this help someone with mood detection, right? If they're having a conversation, if somebody is feeling, it made me think about one of the largest minorities within the disability group, which is individuals living with mental health issues, right? You can't see that when you're interacting with someone. It's so it's a non-visible disability is what we say. And it's a struggle out there. Um, and there's so many taboo topics around it as well. But what about that technology that can support those people, right? So we've got robots out there that can prompt kiddos with autism to um, you know, look at the clock and tell the time or pay attention or what have you, or that even mimic facial expressions so that, you know, person can uh, understand this is the face you make when you're happy. This is the face when, you know, you're worried or what have you. And so I think about that involvement more so. So if somebody is feeling down, you know, can that robot detect that by facial features, by tone of voice and tell a joke, right? Or help them out that way. So just thinking even bigger than just having this little robot in the comedy club telling jokes and what have you. So you, it sounds like you're like me, you see the, you see promise in a story yeah. like this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the humor is there. I get that. I think it's very cool. Um, it's so interesting thinking about a robot just detecting that and what we as humans think of humor and just talking about it building on our background, our history, the context there, right? Um, so yeah, I do see it promising, but I'd love to see it even just do, do more than just tell jokes, right? I think that there's so much more that it can do to support people. Perfect. <clears throat> Naresh, I'm going to turn to you. Uh, your thoughts on the story as well. I think this is a super interesting topic, especially in my world of data and analytics and everything. Because in, in raw sense, it's sentiment analysis, right? So sentiments could be anything. And in this instance, it's laughter or making, you know, being able to make people laugh. And it's nothing but contextual mining of, I would say, texts, which identifies and extracts subjective information in a source material. And the source material over here is history of jokes from all over the world and over extensive periods of time. So someone was able to extract that information, but the information earlier used to be used by companies and it used to be a marketing thing where a company would go out and identify how was my brand perceived in the world. But now with the advancements in artificial intelligence and machine learning and deep learning and all these neural networks that have come to support 
this sentiment analysis, we can zero it down to an individual or a group. For example, in this group, it's uh, a group of people that came down to actually hear a joke. And the article clearly states that the robot can actually pause or it can speak fast or it can repeat itself. And how is it doing is because, you know, they've taken data from a variety of joke places, I would say, and they've actually figured it out to actually react to a set individual or a group. It's, uh, it, it's not used just in the jokes, it's used in every fashion. For example, it's interesting, um, Elon Musk had an interview where someone asked, hey, would so you're gonna put a chip in the brain, is that something that, you know, um, you think is going to be acceptable. And he said, well, you already have a cell phone, which is a physical extension of yourself because my cell phone reacts differently when I wake up in the morning versus what your cell phone reacts. Your cell phone might say, hey, today's music. Mine might say, hey, what's happening in a different part of the world that my flight tickets have booked or whatever it is. And, and it, it reads my sentiment. It's saying I wake up at X amount of time and it's helping me out. And the same thing with Alexa and the smart speakers and everything. It's, it's actually an extension of ourselves. And the reason we start laughing is because we are actually getting the joke or we are seeing through the joke. And that's why we're starting to laugh. So it's, it's super interesting. Excellent. And uh, Johan, I'm going to give you the last word on this. I uh, want to get your, your thoughts on the story and uh, what stood out to you. Well, obviously, it's uh, you start thinking about the future. If, like you said, Liz, will there be robots uh, telling the jokes? And and for me, I just cut to the chase and said, no, I probably would enjoy sitting in a bar, listening to the actual person doing the jokes. And I also remembered when I was a kid, first of all, first time to listen to Eddie Murphy, when somebody criticized him about just saying cuss words and that's the only thing he said and he said that you know it's not only about saying the words right you need to you know also have the story and you just have to do the facial expression and stuff like that so analyzing the jokes and just saying the same thing as somebody else did and, and get people laugh might let's just cut it because there's so many more things to it how you walk when you present it how you're actually saying in the tone of voice and stuff so I think we're going to help a lot of people, obviously, that they can be getting jokes and, and laughing. Uh, if it's going to be in, in a robot or if it's going to be in your phone or your Alexa, it doesn't really matter. But it's, it's you know, some, some people are just going to feel it's really, really great. And some people are just still going to stick to going to the bar and listening to a stand-up comedian and because they like that person. Uh, so I think it's a great com compliment to what is out there and i think it's fun technology because doing this is really hard uh making people laugh is really hard and if you can master that i think you've come a long way and and so i'm, I'm fascinated about the genre of actually making a, a robot that can make jokes so people laugh <clears throat> no i think that point's really interesting i think that uh, you're right is even if ai were were able to do something flawlessly there's still going to be people who want human beings to deliver that service <clears throat> and uh, that that's a whole other 
uh rabbit hole to go down on another uh on another episode um johan naresh liz appreciate y'all being part of this week in voice appreciate you taking the time and and sharing your perspective and <clears throat> expertise with not just me but the audience as well thank you so much for having thank us you. here yeah thank you so much for this week in voice season six episode six Thank you for watching. If you're watching on YouTube, thanks for listening. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcast provider, until next time.